G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day everyone, this is Footyology TV live from the studios of Southern FM in Brighton. I'm Rowan Connolly. I'm Mark Fine. We are here to wrap up another thrilling round of AFL football, one with big ramifications for the top eight and uh, particularly today. Uh, what'd you make of it all? Look, before I start, I've got to say, I love broadcasting from this new studio. It's cold and it's orange. I feel like I'm inside a sunny boy. Well, we're actually in the offices of the Hare Krishna finding, so... Everything's orange. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, we're not. But uh, uh, we decided to mix it up a bit, so we've gone for a different look this week. Uh, Let us know what you think. And a key part of this show, as per last week, and we want to ramp this up, is viewer involvement. So on the live stream, plenty of room there for your questions and comments. Please leave them. Um, we will do our best to uh, get through the best of them. Can't promise we'll get to everyone, but we've got a very capable social media team on the case. So leave your questions and comments. We'll rip through them. Before we get to the wraparound, I think we should have a quick uh, zip through the ladder at the moment. Richmond on top, as per usual, 48 points. Really good percentage too. Second, equal uh, on 44 points, but... Ahead on percentage, the Magpies, a third West Coast, finally, 44 points. Port Adelaide, those three teams all on 44 points. Sydney now relegated to fifth in 40. Melbourne, 36. Geelong, 36. Hawthorne, 36. That is the top eight. Outside the eight on percentage only, and not a lot, is North Melbourne, also on 36. After that, GWS, 34 points. Adelaide, 28, with a rotten percentage. Essendon, 28 with a rotten percentage, I think we can just about officially write those two off. As they say in racing, we don't need to go back any further than that. Just looking at the ladder, I guess some of the stories out of the round, North Melbourne probably didn't take full advantage of having a depleted Gold Coast at their mercy at uh, Etihad Stadium today. So they miss out on a spot in the eight tonight that could have been theirs. Uh, Richmond have forged to the top... (coughs) I think most people, and we'll talk about it during the, during the program, would think that this round just further magnifies their domination in the competition as we sit here tonight. But this is the first time they've got some clean space with game and big percentage break on the rest of the field. I think in terms of significance to the latter, probably the costliest defeat was the last one suffered by the Giants, who were really good in Perth but just couldn't get over the line. That could really cost them because they have a particularly rugged run home. We'll talk about this in the wraparound. Let's get to that right now. See how slick we're getting with all the titles and graphics and everything? Where's, knew, the, where's the music coming I, from? I knew this would work. <laughs> Mr. Music over there is, uh, is queuing up the music. Well, like I said, huge ramifications, uh, not just for GWS, but for West Coast. Fantastic game this was over at Optus Stadium. And West Coast prevailing despite the absence of Kennedy, Darling, Lacra, uh, Ryan, 
Barass, uh, great effort by them, really, to win, break a, a sequence of three losses in a row. 13 8, 86, the Eagles defeated GWS 10 15, 75. What'd you make of the game? Look, it was, it was kind of fair. We know that the West Coast Eagles are forward line depleted. Mm. Really sad news with John O'Patton going down during the week, third knee injury. But that, with Cameron's indiscretion, meant that these were two powerhouse teams without their powerhouse forwards. Mm. And really, when you looked at the sides on paper and everything you instinctively probably knew before the season, more than now, you'd say GWS had the dominant midfielder and even away from home had the right to win the game. But West Coast, much better performance by Nick Natton, who is compared to the game against Adelaide. He sort of led the brigade. Gaff was great for most of the game. And I was really impressed by their midfield's ability to win first possession and be decisive in a lot of the game. Well, I thought uh, their midfield really rose to the challenge. Now, an important uh, run with role by Hutchings on Kelly and yep. uh, major stats winners. Gaff, 41. Redden, 32. I thought he was really good. Shuey, 32. And Yo, 32. Now, they yep. haven't played well as a group for some weeks, and that made all the difference to them, really. You know what was disappointing? They were great. You know what was disappointing from GWS's perspective? The game was still certainly alive right up to the end. I mean, they were sort of two goals down at the most with three minutes to go, two minutes to go. Yeah. Now, in that last five minutes, or say the last three minutes of the game, Maston was able to get the ball and then play kick-to-kick three times with a teammate, mm. and Gaff got the ball and played kick-to-kick three or four times with a teammate. Now, you have to pick up every player and force them to kick down the line. This season almost was on the line, and GWS, again, just doesn't have that professional hard edge to close out close games. Now, in, in latter terms, this is just huge, isn't it? West Coast, as we've said before, third now. They're only 1.5% behind the Magpies, um, they've got a few winnable games coming up, but you sort of feel like they have to get second rather than third, don't you? They need to be playing a home final. Well, they crave the opportunity to have two home finals and then a grand final. Mm. Now, by the same token, GWS, so GWS only two points out of the eight, but have a listen to their run home. Richmond, Port Adelaide. Where? Uh, I didn't write that down. Sorry, I should have. Um, St. St Kilda. We could almost work that out and assume Port Adelaide's in Adelaide, given that Port Adelaide played there this week. It tends to be Adelaide's turn next week, Port Adelaide the week after. Regardless, it's a tough one. St Kilda next, Carlton next to give them wins Both of those will be one. Adelaide. uh, Now, I think they've already played in Adelaide, so that'll be the Giants' home. But then Sydney and Melbourne to finish off. You know, I don't reckon it's a terrible... Oh, geez, I reckon it's pretty testing. Well, look, they get St Kilda and Carlton. Mm. Um, St Kilda, who they drew with, they play at Spotless, so they'll win. Mm. Uh, Carlton, they'll defeat. Sydney, I've got some queries about. And that game has a bit of a life of its own that GWS performed quite well in. And you know what? Melbourne, last game of the season... <laughs> the traditional Melbourne... Meltdown. <laughs> well, yeah. It's not, it's not horrific... I think when you compare it to the draw of both Hawthorne and North Melbourne, who are immediately above them, they've definitely got the poor end of a deal. We'll get to that when we talk about those two teams. And just on that, remember, percentage doesn't mean anything for GWS unless they draw again. Correct. Uh, 
So they, they need to finish, a team needs to finish top four, especially a young in the mind team like GWS. That draw is tough enough to make sure that they don't make top four. So you're right. It's not a great, it's not a great run home given where they need to be to, to mount another attempt to make a grand final. You're right there. Do you agree about West Coast being second as opposed to third? They have to be. Yeah. Well, we still don't know whether they can play at the MCG. Mm. They're, this was such an important win for them. No matter who is available or unavailable, they have to win at Optus in WA, yeah. you know, back home. And they keep that hope alive. It shows how important the Collingwood-Essendon game was. Yeah. This is what we love. Look, our competition has uh, quite a unique way of reaching a final conclusion. A final eight is big, convoluted, and... Some people think it's too many. But you know what? When you look at the numbers, it's certainly interesting. And home finals become so important, don't they? So uh, we've got mini finals all the way to September now. Yeah, I, I think there's less of an argument that it's there's too many now because I think there's less of a gap between the top and bottom of the eight, with the exception of the top team. Let's go to the second game, the... Uh, Second game on Sunday, actually, and it was a it was a ripper. It was Essendon Collingwood at the G, almost seventy thousand there, sixty nine thousand eight sixty eight. Pretty good effort considering how cold and wet it was. And uh, yeah, it lived up to the hype, I reckon. Um, and full credit to the Pies who really turned it on in the last quarter and ended up winning twelve uh, twelve six seventy eight, defeating the Bombers nine eight sixty two, hanging on to that second spot and pretty much ending the Bombers' uh, finals chances. I might go first on this one. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell, before you do go first, can I just, on a personal... <laughs> on a personal first, yeah. yeah. not about the game, on a personal basis. Well done, Nigel Carmody. He's been with Channel 7 calling VFL football and the odd uh, game of AFL football when numbers demanded it. Also calls for the ABC. Nigel, a great mate of mine that I met through working with him at SEN. He's a player manager, was a very good VFL footballer, great bloke. And was a great foil with BT today in a big game. Thumbs up, Nigel. Okay, I thought uh, the Bombers for three quarters gave it pretty much everything. I thought the loss of Fantasia pre-game was absolutely critical and would have been enough to have me change my tip, which in retrospect I wish I had. Uh, but they, they hung in there, they hung in there. In the end, though, I think the Pies, it was a real tribute to that Collingwood midfield. In the last quarter, I thought Pendlebury really came to the fore. Degoe stood up and was really dangerous up forward. Um, they started winning all those centre clearances. Taylor Adams, I thought, had a really big last quarter. Sadeh Batom. Oh, yeah, yeah, in his 200th. Uh, he's always good, though, isn't he? You sort of yeah. take it for granted with him. Um, and I think ultimately, and we will talk about the umpiring because it was a fairly thorny issue, but uh, I don't think that made the difference. And to me... Um, well, sorry, I think it made a difference. I don't think it was a difference between one side winning or the other. And uh, ultimately, it probably says about the gap between where those two sides are. Yeah, you know, when you have a game like that, it was a compelling game to watch because I think we knew just by the way Essendon attacked the game that they knew that this was a final for them. Mm. And... You need to have, in the modern game, halfback flankers are so important for rebound and for repel. And they're really well served, Collingwood, with Jeremy Howe, who's an excellent player. Don't worry about the spectacular nature of his marking because they are intercept marks. They generally, 
you know, come from the boot of the opposition mm. kicking the ball forward. And on the other half-back flank, Langdon is a powerful, commanding footballer. And I really think that's where Collingwood sort of repelled Essendon, who had every bit of the game for three and a bit quarters. Well, the other side of the coin there is I think they managed to really thwart the run of Adam Sard, who's been an outstanding foreman today, had his quietest game for some time. Yeah. I mean, um, it was interesting, though. You've got sort of two different sides. You've got the run and gun off the Essendon half-back line yeah. compared to more the aerial skill yeah. and set-up kicking from Langdon. Yeah. I, look, I thought Essendon's midfield, you know, which has been an Achilles heel for a long time, for three quarters, I thought they more than held their own. I thought Merritt was terrific. Devin Smith, he's a gun. What a fantastic pickup he's been. Did, did momentum get thwarted a bit when Merritt went off with that injury concern just for a little while? Um, what period was that? In, just in the last quarter. Oh, but, yeah. Look, I, you know, look. He just, because he, he was close to best on ground. Yeah. I mean, look, Essendon kicked the first goal of the last quarter. Uh, Mitch Brown kicked it. Mark Bagley had a chance to actually put him two goals up. Yeah. Um, but it didn't feel like that at the end. I felt that was the moment Collingwood said, right, here we go. I wouldn't say so far as, you know, it showed they've got a higher gear, but I thought it was a really gritty sort of, you know, and the leaders were the guys that, that drove it. Um, okay, the umpiring, because it's been a really... Uh, controversial <laughs> the numbers now I know the free kick numbers you know don't have to be the be the be all and end all it was 17 27 uh collingwood winning the 27 free kicks i thought the umpiring was terrible i i, don't, I hardly ever say this can i just stress i hate going on about the umpiring i thought it was terrible today and i thought essendon got the rough end of a deal early on i thought in the second half collingwood got a few absolute shockers as well but there was a lot of um no feel, inconsistency. One stage, I think Devin Smith wrapped up, um, trying to remember who the Collingwood player was, but like three times, no holding the ball paid, and then they paid one late against Heppel for an inconsequential in the back. Now, that was extraordinary, because that was off the back of a tackle by Merritt, where mm. the Collingwood player dropped the ball. And then the follow-up for that was <clears throat> maybe Heppel falling on top of the pair of them, mm. And an extraordinary call of in the back. Yeah. Now, that was... They're the sort of decisions that are, are lack touch for the game. Because if you don't... The umpire that's called play on for the dropping the ball mm. then must have a level of um, tolerance and forgive Heppel if he fell into the situation because he's really let the Collingwood player off first. Well, the other one I'm still mystified about, and we can't even agree what it was actually for, was that 50 against Brendan Goddard. Yeah, well, that's that was very interesting, because Because I my feeling is, and correct me if we're wrong and they've talked about this and we've missed it, but I felt like they paid that 50 because he took, um, was it side bottom? Out, out of the next act of play. You think it was for not getting back on the on the mark? Yeah, I thought I thought it was because he was getting told to move well, back play, two metres. I, I think play was still continuing though. I thought he got told when Sidebottom had the ball to move back, move back, move back, but he didn't hear it. I'd love to hear from uh, it, people who might have been sort of boundary side and closer to the incident than I was from my living room. Speaking of which, because we've got to move on, but uh, Stephen Giles, now this is what we're after, people. Get in, leave your comments, we'll talk about them. Stephen says, if Richmond don't win, the Pies are as much a chance as anybody, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't think so. 
You don't think they're a chance? They have to be a chance, Fawny. I mean, if Brisbane don't win it, okay. The, I think in the end, not having Trelaw and yeah. Lyndon Dunn even, yeah, not so much Ben Reid, will count against them. Okay, tell me this though. If, if like, all I'm saying is I've got Richmond out ahead, but yeah. if it's not them... I probably think the next best chance actually might be Port Adelaide, but I wouldn't say that with any great confidence. Port is definitely a better chance than Collingwood. So in my eyes, Collingwood... So I don't read it like that. Yeah, well, okay. Because well, I read West Coast actually getting to second <clears throat> and Collingwood, because of those key players out, not being able to win interstate in the finals. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Port, Port... Uh, they're hardly a smoky. They're fourth on the ladder now, but yep. uh, I, I like their chances. Particular, I think. Yeah, this is an interesting one. The Pies play the um, Tigers when two weeks from now. Yep. But right at the moment, I reckon Port is probably as good a chance of knocking over Richmond when it counts as anyone. So uh, again, I don't agree. I think they've got a big problem. Either Riders injured or running out of momentum. Well, we'll talk about this when we get yep. to their game. Let's move on. Um, we feel the third, uh, we talk in more depth about the three feature games each round. We selected our third game as the uh, Friday night game, Richmond taking on Adelaide. Grand final rematch, not replay, but in this case, you could have almost called it a grand final replay because the scores were very similar. Do over. The margin was very similar. Yep. And even the way the game unfolded was pretty similar. Adelaide actually started better. Um, and then Richmond gradually sort of worked their way back into it in that first quarter and then just sort of steamrolled them from there. And you could just see the air go out of the Adelaide tyres. I must say, I can't remember too many games where the margin at the final quarter has been 16 points and yet that felt closer to 10 goals. Never felt like the Crows were a chance and it looked like the Crows themselves didn't think they were a chance, didn't it? Yeah, and for good reason. Because they were playing against a team. <laughs> well, they were playing against a team that bested them at that ground in the big one. And we know that the aftermath, and there was still talk. You know, there's all talk about what's wrong with Adelaide. You know, what's wrong with Adelaide? It wasn't the pre-season camp. wasn't the uh, disappointment of the grand final. I think they're all overlays from other people. The problem with Adelaide is that when they're not at full strength... <clears throat> They're nowhere near good enough. They've got got some fringe players that just don't cut it for mine. Here's the problem with Adelaide. Betts, Brad Crouch, Cam Ellis-Yolman, Riley Knight, David Mackay, Mitch McGovern, Brodie Smith. Yeah, of course. And and put those in. Look, put in Betts and Brodie Smith and I'd be happy for them to be right up there and competing. Well, it's not just that either. It's like Tex Walker not having a pre-season. He's been below his best all year. That's what he is. Jenkins missed... No, hang on. Let's talk about Tex Walker for a sec. That's what he is. I, yeah. I should have said on Thursday night, I should on Thursday when we did the uh, audio podcast, I should have said one of the big things against Adelaide is that Tex Walker's not going to play two decent games in a row. And that's his form. It is his form. I think that's a bit harsh. I don't. Kicked 70-odd goals last year, didn't he? Well, again... He's a very, very big half-forward flanker. I'd like to see him you know, put his hand up for the long ball and compete and bring the ball to ground for the size he is. Look, he's, he's been questioned before in his grand final and his game on Friday night are the reason he gets questioned. I want to talk about Richmond. Yeah. Because here's a team that 
and I think rightfully managed by Hardwick, was motoring along at the top of the ladder, but not in overdrive mm-hmm. prior to the buy. And now we see Richmond gearing up. And what are the great things that Richmond have going for them? Here's what they've got going for them. Rewalt's in career best. He is in such good form. We know Rance is great. Coxon's great. They're sort of super bankable. Dustin Martin at half time, I was asking myself, what's going on with Dusty? He's sort of part going. It's like somebody turned a switch on, mm. and in that second half, it was 2017 revisited. He's done that a lot. And I, I, yeah, and I think, you know, he's ready to take the rest of the year by storm. Wait till hot or not, but Daniel Rioli, yeah. I'm not worried, you know, oh, Cyril retired, Daniel takes over the That's just, that's, that's um, great. That's great um, fodder for the the uninformed. You know what the important thing is? He is a brilliant high-pressure forward mm. who's fully fit now and a brilliant addition for the second half well, of the year. His pressure has actually been measured as being greater than that of Butler and Castagna. I tried to encapsulate just in a couple of notes what makes Richmond so good. It's not just about their pressure. It's about their positioning behind the ball. What I, one thing that really struck me on Friday night was every time they force the Adelaide turnover, not near goal, uh, Adelaide kicked the ball straight back to them. So their positioning is great, and that's a real credit to the coaching staff. And, and I know it's something they've worked on pretty hard. And they've positioned a guy that has played a lot of his football ahead of centre, plays that role now, Shane Edwards, brilliantly. Yep. Uh, they've got incredible faith in each other. Hence, um, you look at them, they're always knocking the ball forward. They know someone's going to be there. A couple of those Dusty Martin centres on Friday night, he didn't know that there was definitely someone there, but he knew someone would be there. Um, And the other thing I think they do really well is spot up targets inside, uh, very short inside the 50. You notice how many shots of goal they take from between that 35 to 50 Meter arc, and who's their favourite target? There, the man with the best hands, Caddy. Caddy, yeah. And they know it. They, you know, huge frustration barracking for a lower club. Yeah, that it's all well and good to hit up a player, but know your teammates. Yeah, know that you're hit, hitting up a guy that's not got a great pair of hands, or even if he marks it, is it not a great kick? Richmond don't do that. When Caddy gets on the lead, he deserves and he gets those short kicks because he honours them. Yeah, I, I reckon also when you talk about sides having a high gear, I, that game to me felt like that was a classic example of a side with a high gear. Yep. They soaked up the pressure and then when time came, I said, OK, let's, let's dispense with this challenge and they did it, bang, like that. They are so clearly the side to beat for this flag. Again, your input, keep it coming. We're not ignoring it. Mark Chapman says, Richmond are lucky not getting injuries. No, they're not. Well... I, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Their injury management has been terrific, but there has to be an element of luck about it. They, they've had incredible durability out of their star players. I think I did the numbers. Um, I think last year, Rance, Cochin, Martin and Rewalt between them missed or played 118 out of 120 games. And they've done that all their careers. Yeah. They are durable types. Yeah. But Richmond have suffered otherwise. <clears throat> Rioli's only just come back. Yeah. Basha Hooley's not playing. Mm. Arguably best on the ground in grand final last year. Yeah. Have a look on Friday night. Broad was almost best on ground. Mm, he was great. Did his shoulder. Mm. Graham was fantastic. Yeah. Got injured. Shoulder. 
And do you know what? They've Actually, lost... Broad, Broad was cheekbone, wasn't he? And uh, Graham Shoulder. Sorry, the other yeah. way around. You know what? They're going to lose two players that were brilliant. Yeah. And they'll be they'll have a better team next week because they'll get Floston back. Yeah. And um, they've got somebody else coming back in the side well, as well. McIntosh. It has, uh, no, no, he can't make it. But uh, uh, tell us if you can remember who's coming in. But definitely Floston and... They've got another gun coming back in that side. Well, there's a guy, they've got a guy like uh, Shy Bolton, who I thought would become a permanent member of that side. He yep. can't even get a look in now. Yeah, yeah, look, he might get an opportunity if they go like for like down with Jack Graham. But, um, yeah, they've had players that most other teams would mark as top liners get injured, but they've just been able to fill their boots with those sort of players. All right, have we got another question there quickly? Hooley coming back. Oh, Hooley coming back? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so we've got Bash coming back. All right, thanks. Keep the feedback coming. We want this to be a two-way thing. Let's move on to our next game. Uh, Thursday night now, I seem to say it's everywhere. It seems like a long time ago. Is this the last of the Thursday games? I think it might be. Hope so. What do you make for the push for permanency? Uh, not all season. I think limited doses, and not when the buy-rounds are on. And I understand that that helps them facilitate the... Um, you know, the gap between Breaks. games, but it spreads it too thin, I reckon. And just and just on that, it's worked well because they have been very good games. Uh, the Thursday night yeah. ones, yeah. Well, the Friday night ones this year have, for the better part, been duds, so it's sort of helped. Okay, um, incredibly inaccurate, the Cats, but they got there in the end. 8-23-71, defeated Sydney 9-5-59. Um, and you sort of felt like the Cats were really controlling the whole game, didn't yeah. you? But they just couldn't put them away. Yeah. Uh, okay, Geelong. Where are we on Geelong? I keep saying, to me, they're good, but sort of not quite good enough. I suppose I'm, I'm looking at the ladder now, and, and if we're to regard the likes of, of Collingwood, West Coast, and Port as legitimate chances, why shouldn't Geelong be? And I, I think there's an argument in that. I've had issues with the bottom few members of their 22. They always seem a little bit iffy, some of those younger guys. But... Um, I think the other side of that coin is they've spread the load around a bit better. I mean, for instance, Tim Kelly um, got to be the recruit of the year in terms of um, a player not in the system before coming into a club. He's been absolutely outstanding. Mitch Duncan is, you know, on the same level, I think, now as Selwood, uh, Ablett Dangerfield in terms of his impact on the side. Menegola not quite there, but still very handy. I think Hawkins is hitting some form again. Um, and when you think about guys still to come back, Menzel being the big... You know, they can improve. There's no doubt about that. I still... I don't know what it is. It's just a psychological thing. They still don't strike me as being depend, quite dependable enough, still prone to having a bit of an off day, and I think Essendon caught him on one of them early this year. But, oh. then, but then I'm starting to think about Sydney in exactly the same way. I've got a lot of regard for Sydney, but... They seem to have a level that they can't just get past. I think they've got two separate issues, these teams. Geelong, the modern game, and have a look at the Premiers, it's about transition. It's about moving the ball, and it's really about being able to move the ball from uh, the kick in from a point or deep in defence right down the ground without turning it over and opening the game up, and Richmond do it with great run. Hawthorne did it with precision kicking in their triple premiership era. And Geelong have to... I think their big problem is that they have a back line that just doesn't have those attributes. They don't, 
Yeah, it's long. They don't have the run out of the back it's line. It's not a great rebounding. Well, I just don't find that. I don't find their what about movement. Stewart and Tui. No, Tui. I think Tui's pretty overrated. I, you know, he's a he gives the ball a slug. Mm. You know, he tries to kick it long, but he's not a runner. He's definitely not a great mover. Um, when I say overrated, he he does his job, but he's not he's not a class, he's not a game-breaking halfback flanker. Stewart's a great reader of the game. Mm. He's a really good general behind that line. But well, they don't have that... They, to me, they just don't have the movement out of the back line. Let's talk about the Swans. Good question here from uh, Josh Maher. Thanks, Josh. John Longmire should have the Swans players watch a few Richmond games and see what hitting a short target inside 50 looks like. I was just thinking, looking at the scores, they're starting to look a bit sort of buddy-conscious again, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They well, they went through a period where that didn't seem to be the case. I mean, that short target, I'm sure um, that uh, communique deals with hitting somebody up 15, 20 metres away. But we can look at it the other way, because Richmond have short targets in the forward line in terms of 180 centimetres, 178 centimetres, and Sydney just don't hit those, don't look for those players. They've got Ronke there, who's a really interesting little Yeah, but hang on, dangerous is, it, is it that though, or is it that their midfielders don't have the same capacity to get forward and be dangerous goal kickers? Like, Kennedy doesn't. Yeah. Um, but they're small forwards. Hanabry can't get a kick. Parker has sort of done a bit of it, but I don't, I don't think they have as many of them as, say, Richmond or Collingwood do. I, no, I agree. Their midfield doesn't have that those attributes, but they really do. I don't know whether it's a nature for playing at the SCG. They really do kick it up to Buddy mm. or, you know, kick it to the top of the square. Yeah. They're not, they're not hitting up enough of the Haywoods, the Florence, Ronke, um, Papley. Mm. Most of those guys survive on crumbing or turnover oppression. They're good, they're good players. I don't think there's enough faith in them as alternatives to Buddy coming what, forward. What about the other thing that occurs to me with the Swans is uh, I always go back to 2012 when they won it and the season of Lewis Jetta that season. He was pivotal to them because he had that dash and, uh, you know, dare I say it, X Factor. I've always felt like they, they've never quite recaptured that spark that they had that year and particularly in that final series. Don't you feel like that? There, there's something a little bit sort of pedestrian about them, workmanlike, yeah. and, and Puff Buddy obviously is as brilliant as it gets, but I, I mean particularly with midfield running types, they're all a bit the same way, I reckon. Well, that's why Heaney was a big out. Yeah. Because he is that marking bob-up X-factor yeah. that is taller and dangerous. And I'll talk about it in Hot or Not, but I think you make a fair point. I don't think that the Sydney Swans... Talk about it in hot or not. And just just on their team in general, I don't think that the Sydney Swans have a side. And isn't it funny that we've found out first at the SCG? I don't think they've got a side that can go very far without their best twenty-two on the ground. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. We have got another one here. Very no, okay. Let's move on up to the Gabba on Saturday afternoon, and uh, they call it the. Gabatoir, oh, well, they did back in the good old days for Lions, but it certainly returned to those sort of days on Saturday um, because they were red hot as much as their opponent was not. Uh, Brisbane 18 12, 120, smashed Carlton 7 13, 55, and uh, quarter time scores didn't necessarily suggest it, but 
thought the riding was on the wall very, very early in this game. Brisbane uh, runners just getting heaps of space, heaps of space up forward where Eric Hipwood, who we'll talk about a bit later on, was terrific for them. And the Blues just lost interest very, very quickly in this game. And uh, it was, a, to me, a bit of a repeat of that Fremantle game down here a few weeks ago. So much so, and I've now lost this stat. I wrote it down. It was a beauty, too. At three-quarter time in, in this game on Saturday, I remember the number, 211 disposals Cartlett had to three-quarter time. Yep. I'd love to know the last time in fine conditions, a side had had that few disposals after three quarters of the game. They just didn't look interested at all. Well, 30 of those disposals, even at three-quarter time, were sitting in the grandstand, late withdrawal of Cade Simpson. Mm. So they lost their shape and and their backline got hammered because Mark's bank had some sort of heart irregularity. Yeah, yeah. And Wietering, who was trying to be the loose player, got injured. He had a sore calf. So that backline became... Uh, by the early withdrawal of Simpson <clears throat> and those two, a complete mess. Now, you know, sometimes I look at those best players and I get really angry, as officially listed. Mm. All right, Carlton's best players, Cruiser, sort of barely. Um, second best player, Charlie Kurnow, and they've written that because Charlie kicked three goals out of seven in a poor performance, and he's a very talented player. He was annihilated on the weekend. We can look at beams and big names, but Gardner played a great game. My, I, I know where that comes from. It's just that they don't want to only give them three best players, but maybe there are times when you need but to But I'm just saying that his direct opponent, and yeah. he got frustrated, Kurnow. Let's uh, go to this comment. It's a yep. good one. Wowdy, uh, sorry if that's not how you pronounce it. Should the AFL hand Carlton a priority pick? Uh, my answer is pretty um, short and sweet. No. Uh, no. And uh, then no again. They're, no. Un- they're only at the end of the first round. Yeah, I don't not, care. No, I'm, I'm saying, but they're not... That's not going to make... Pick number 19 or 20. That's not where Carlton's improvement is going to come from. Carlton's improvement comes from uh, a lot of patience because at the moment there are four or five guys on that field that are so physically not suited to AFL football... I lo- everybody loves Zach Fisher, mm. but he gets thrown around like a rag doll. Lockie O'Brien's tiny. Um, Polson is yeah. undersized. These are you put four or five of them in a game of AFL football. Yeah, you're going to get bashed. Well, just one last thing we've got to move on. But this stuff every time Carl gets smashed, you hear this. Oh, Brendan Bolton's got to go. No, he doesn't have to go because a new coach comes in, and it takes him another two years to get the list he wants to work with. Carlton's issues. And they don't extend back 20 years. They actually had a pretty good crack at it under Brett Ratton, made finals three years in a row, and were a kick away from preliminary final in 2011. However, their uh, list management and recruiting between 2009 and 2014 was horrendous. They gave away all those good players who have started other clubs. And the numbers at the draft table, this doesn't include trades, 30 players picked up in all those drafts, five of them left. That they have turned over an entire list in three years, and they've had to. And I keep saying this, the rebuilding process, when you start from scratch, takes six, seven, eight years. It was the case with Geelong. The foundation of those Geelong premiership sides was built on the drafts of 99, 2000, 2001. It takes that long. To get rid of Brendan Bolton now would be absolute madness. That, however, doesn't excuse the lack of effort. But I'm not saying the lack of effort 
means that they're not playing for the coach. I think that's really simplistic thinking. One more quick one. Mark Williams. Rainers fend off at the start of the game as a sign of things to come. Uh, I, I presume you mean in Rainers form. Gee, we, we were saying before he even played, gee, he looks like Dusty Martin. Well, he's playing like him. And he's now, pretty impressive. Well, now comparisons are being made. McLuggage is starting to look more and more like Nigel Lappin, a beautiful mover, and he's, a, he's got one problem. I really like McLuggage. Gee, he's bad around goal. He, <laughs> he is one of the worst kicks of goal you'll ever see from a set shot. That's, from, a, that's a big call this year because there's been some shockers. You know, he kicked a goal on the weekend, though, Yeah, McLuggage. Did he? He was that... He was that close to the line. He was, he was half a metre out. Harder but to everything... But his field kicking is superb. Yeah. It's, it's a strange thing. They're the best... Uh, I said this last year, best wooden spoon team I've ever seen. They've won three games now, but there's only two games that have actually been taken to the cleaners in. They've been consistently competitive. I reckon they've been good. And they lost a guy that was almost all Australian last couple of weeks, Harris Andrews, mm. and they've won those two games really well. Yeah. You know... You want to talk about... We should mention Hipwood because he's so important. Later. Okay. I've got him. I will mention him. Let's go to uh, Port Adelaide, St Kilda. The twilight game on Saturday. The power, 12-14-86. Beat the Saints, 7-8-50. Do you want to do this guy? Um, well, I watched it as well, but, uh, geez, it was a struggle to stay awake because it was just one of those wins you sort of chalk up and move on, wasn't it? That game was everything you expected it to be and it delivered. Port Adelaide were the better team, but they were not motivated to do... St Kilda worked quite hard. So if you want to thrash them, you really have to put your mind to it. Otherwise, (laughs) in a game like that, you can just beat them, which they did. Ramifications out of that. uh, I was just about to tweet the moment he injured himself, how good is Tom Jonas? Uh, And then he hurt his knee. So he really... I don't think the back line would disintegrate without him, but he is well, the general of that back. back line. Yeah, they can. They can. I love their back line. Cleary, Byrne Jones, um, uh, Pittard when he's been there. I'm missing someone. Uh, Houston, yeah, uh, Howard. Yeah. That back line is the, the best part of that team's improvement this year comes down back. That's... Yeah. You know, one of the things I'd most wish for is Dan Houston never makes another mistake in his career finding, just so he can avoid Houston, the Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. I want Thanks. to just make special mention of Jack Steele. He was fantastic. He played on Ollie Wines. Hello yeah. to Mrs. Wines or whatever. Yeah, hi, Jane. Hi, how are you? Um, <laughs> but he played a great game on Ollie. Yeah, he was the quietest game he's had for Well, ages. he beat him. He yeah. got 25 of his own. Yeah. But you, there's only one way you can beat Ollie Wines. You've got to be prepared for some very physical, you know... Ollie got the ball, and Jack three or four times brought him to a dead stop. Yeah. It would be pretty strong to do that. Unheralded a bit, Jack Steele, but he played a great game. Just a quick one on Port, because I was talking him up as a potential challenger to Richmond. Obviously, they have to play better than they played on the weekend. But some good longer-term signs for them. The imports, I mean, Watts got back in the team for starters, but Motlop is starting to play some really good footy. Rockcliffe has really come good for him as well. Lindsay Thomas has got in there and done a couple of things very here good. and there. Thomas you know, very good. So they've got depth, and uh, I, I think uh, guys who can potentially make a real difference uh, at the business end of the year. Motlop, symptomatic almost a Motlop. Best on ground a quarter time. Ten touches, a class above everybody else on the field. Second quarter, unsighted. One touch. My query for them is Paddy Ryder, he's... 
He's just just going, and they need Paddy Ryder. They don't really have an alternative in the ruck, mm. and he is just going. So is he sore, there's ankle concerns, or is he getting a bit old? One way or the other, they need more from him. All right, let's move on. Uh, that noise you may be able to hear in the background, I think the Hari Krishna call centre is in overdrive at the moment. Is that actually a phone or is it... That's uh... no, okay. People are trying to get through to us. Uh, okay, well, you know, we prefer you actually leave a question on Facebook. Don't try and ring it in. It's a bit uh, 20th century, really. But All right. To, but you know, to pay the bills, we're also um, selling pizzas. That might be in order. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm hungry. You shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Let's go to Eddie Head Stadium Saturday evening. And Hawthorne, 19-8-122, did a number on the Western Bulldogs, 9-5-59. I wrote a match report on this game for Footyology, finally, footyology.com.au. You'll find the match report there. Hawk fans, I'm tipping Bulldogs fans, probably won't want to read it. Two bursts were pivotal in this game. The first one lasted 10 minutes at the end of the first quarter. Bulldogs have got 13 points up. Hawks went bang, bang, bang. And I think Bruce got three of the four goals. Yes. Having uh, restored the ledger somewhat in the second quarter was uh, you know, a bit tit for tat. The third quarter, seven goals, four to one behind. And this was powerful Hawthorne circa 2014-15. And boy, did the leaders stand up. Isaac Smith, 10 possessions in that third quarter. Jared Roughhead. Eight possessions, couple of goals, I think three or four marks in that third quarter. Jack Gunston bobs up with three goals in that quarter. All the senior boys came to play. And when Hawthorne play like that, they can trouble, if not beat, any other side in the competition. Don't forget that early on, I think it was round two or three, they pushed Richmond to within 13 points. Yep. Now, I know people look at Hawthorne and go, oh, they're not that good. And, and they have weeks when they're a bit off their game. But when it clicks for them, they can play a level of footy as good as virtually anyone, I contend. Do you agree with that? When they're going, these things happen, and you're spot on. Roughhead starts to impose himself up one end. Sicily is impassable. And they threw O'Meara into that powerhouse mix this week because Tom Mitchell was just a bit part player. But interestingly... They got great, sort of, um, even more penetrating uh, results from not only Amira but Howe as well. Mm. So I think at their very best, I'm not saying that they're anywhere near Richmond who are setting the bar, but in that other mix of playing teams like Collingwood and Port and West Coast, they're, they're certainly they can match them. Well, don't well, you think? Oh, yeah, and they're in the eight now. I think they'll stay there. And, um, you know, look, I mean, gee, what are they? Two games outside the top four. Uh, they've, got a, they've got a pretty good run home. And if they finish fourth after <laughs> after almost a 100 years, yeah, a Richmond Hawthorne final for the first time oh, ever. Okay. <laughs> oh. I knew that was going to be obscure. It is a remarkable, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a markable happenstance. Yeah, okay, that will do. But it is extraordinary. They've uh, never played in the final, Richmond Hawthorne. Keep the comments and questions coming. David Dobbs, thanks, David, says, Hawthorne with a soft draw can still make the top four and outside Richmond are as good as anyone. I think that's what we said. On, on their day. So, yeah, yeah. We're, we're with you, David. Uh, much respect for the Hawks. Can still pull out a brand of footy that really worries everyone. Okay, the only game we are yet to cover is the first game today. 
And let's be honest, it was pretty forgettable at Etihad Stadium. North there, was, there were some important can things. Can I read though? the scores? There, well, no, there were some important things. Well, you can tell us after I read the scores. North Melbourne, 14 11, 95. Defeated Gold Coast, 8 10, 58. Just before you start, um, I thought the Suns were far more competitive than they have been. They actually, you know, they, it slipped towards the end a little bit, but they didn't have a goalless quarter or anything. And there was actually. They kept sort of shooting themselves in the foot. You know, they were within, they were still within a couple of kicks, I think, early in the third quarter, and they just kept, you know, a handball would go astray or they'd miss a shot of goal and it'd rebound and North would get a goal. Um, North would want to play a lot better than that if, if they're going to climb into the eight. Yeah, bad second quarter by North. Turnovers in the back half. McMillan, a terrible short, oh, yeah, short was, kick. That was a shocker, yeah. Um, Scotty Thompson, who had a really good game, yeah, he just handballed one to Jared Witts for yeah, a goal. Yeah, yeah. North were aiding and abetting Gold Coast yeah. at one point in time. Jared Witts played a good game. Yeah, the look Gold Coast, Gold Coast, are Gold Coast. They've got no midfield really, and they tried hard. But it's nice to see some of their players do some nice things now and then. But they're they're finding it hard north of the story because we want to analyse whether or not they can make the final eight. And it was interesting to see Magic Dorp push forward mm. just for a short period. You mm. know, I'm a big rap for him this year. He was good. I love Cunnington. Mm. I love him. He's had a remarkable season. He just If you watch him, you know, he's really a handball link man. He's great at the stoppages. Yeah. He's got perfect hands. He never fumbles it. Higgins, we know, is a good player. What North Melbourne desperately need is better form from guys like McMillan and Marley Williams and Atley, who was, I thought, disappointing. Yeah. These are players who've been around long enough. They're only going to make the eight if Atley <clears throat> and Wright and McMillan have all played, you know, seasons of league football, do their bit. I'll go further than that. I reckon they can only make the eight if Jared Waite gets back into that team because I, I think he, he takes some of the focus off Brown, who still kicked four goals, but it just makes it, makes it easier for opposing defences to nail North on the scoring front if yeah. they can focus all their key position attention on Brown. Wade is pivotal to the way they set up and their scoring power, I think. Yes, oh, we missed a game. Melbourne and Frio. Sorry, my apologies, Melbourne and Frio fans. It was an easy one to miss, to be honest, up at the top end. Uh, Melbourne and Fremantle. I just happen to have the scores here. Thanks, Mr Music, for filling us in on that one. The Demons. Talk about shockingly inaccurate. 13-24-102. Smashed Fremantle 7-6-48. I think at one stage the Demons were 2-11. Um, so the margin there, here we go, my maths again, 54. Should have been closer to 100, really, shouldn't it? Well, it, it sort of like the Geelong Sydney game. I mean, when you win by five goals 18, especially given the lack of pressure applied by the Fremantle team for the entire night... Mm. Well, well this, they won by six goals, 18. Oh, six, 18. Yeah. You really should win that game by 100 points. Now, yeah. I, I, I didn't watch this game live. I watched it. I have a method of watching games where I sort of condense them down. The fine method. Yeah. You can watch a game of football with IQ in about 30, 25 to 30 minutes, you know, getting rid of all the palaver. I, I watched this game in 10 minutes because I was only backtracking goals. Gee, they missed some shots, Melbourne, mm. on, on the IQ. I mean, they were just, they really almost got bored out of this game, if that's possible. You know, you know the sort of, in the end, the, the, 
attention to detail needed for a player, you know, when they're really focused and it matters. None of these shots huh? matter. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. But that that's sort of what 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 it was. It was yeah. like uh, a laconic shot of goal went through for a point, doesn't matter. Well, I'll have another go off the kick in. Mm-hmm. And they just were I hope it doesn't come back to haunt them with percentage because that was 100 points at the offing. Are we, yeah, are we satisfied with that, that they have sort of returned to form or is there still no. some way to go? No, there's a heck of a way to go. They lost to St Kilda the week before. Yeah. They should have been on their metal regardless of the fact that the game was won at the first bounce. What about the other mob? Uh, they uh, they annoy me. I'll tell you why. Because they we had a crack at them earlier in the year about being totally uncompetitive away from home. They come here and smash Carlton, and yeah, okay, it was Carlton, but they looked really good that day. Yep. And now they they lose Sandilands first, then they lose Fife, and it's like they just look at the injury list and go, look at the venue and the injury list. Nah, too hard. That's exactly what happened. No Fife, no life. You know. And who, what about Ross Lyons coming off the game? Well, sometimes he's just not good enough. It's sort of unlike Ross, isn't it? Is he getting a bit too accepting of defeat over there? It, it almost suggested that on the way there they made that decision. And the only guy that really seemed motivated was somebody who hasn't played all year and was desperate to get some footy under his belt, Stephen Hill. Yeah, well, he was their best by a long shot, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. But I don't know, some of the young guys that I think have impressed me, just, I don't know, is the season getting too long or are they getting dispirited? But um, yeah, they're, uh, they're looking, I don't know about their rebuild, I'm not convinced by it. They had a, they had a big loss. Tabernet yeah, came out of the... Yeah, he was going alright. And they finally had a forward that they could build something around. Yeah. Because I don't think they've ever had any faith in McCarthy. You know, Kirsten, McCarthy. I don't think the players bought into them. Well, Kirsten hasn't worked out at all. No. I've been playing him in defence. Yeah. But with Tabernet, there was a real, all right, he's our man. Yeah. He stopped playing. The forward line became a bit dysfunctional. Then Fife went out, and they just, oh, you'd love to play them without Fife next week. Whoever's got them's got to buy. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I think that's all nine games, isn't it, Mr. Music? We haven't, uh, unless we want to start talking VFL, but I think we've got enough to go on with. Any more questions out of those games? No, I think everyone else was suitably bored with Fremantle and Melbourne as well. That is it for the wraparound for this week. It's time to move on to our next segment. Hot or not? I'm going to do that every week, I've decided. That's my first knot. (laughs) Come on, you can't beat a bit of air guitar, Fanny. All right, I'm going to kick us off with a hot. Luke Bruce, is he the game's most underrated small forward still after having played in uh, how many flags? Three. He didn't play in 08, did he? But three flags. He's been all Australian. Uh, One of his career best games on Saturday night, uh, 24 possessions, 6-2. Four in the first quarter. He's just... Um, oh, thank you, Craig Williams, who says, Luke Bruce, now the best small mid-forward in the game. Yep. Great in general play, can take a mark and bring it crumbing. That's what I was exactly what I was going to say, Craig. He uh, He's efficient. He's just efficient. He reads the play brilliantly. There's no sort of any bets about him. It, it, you don't. He doesn't necessarily do it spectacularly because he doesn't have to. He just He gets the ball in the right spots. He takes the percentage marks. He kicks the goals he should kick. And he's sort of, you know, have a look at him. I mean, he's not, you know, he's just sort of a pasty sort of young Hawthorne player. But he's, he's not quite a small forward. He's not a little um, Eddie Betts, Stephen Milne, like the, the traditional forward pocket 
Uh, yeah, no, it's bigger than that. It's yeah, bigger than yeah. that. With the um, sort of dazzling feet. Yeah. Because he can mar- outmark you. Mm. He's a beautiful kick. At one stage, he, his first six goals were his first six kicks. But I love his sort of lack of animation when he does something good. You know, I, I sort of love guys that are efficient and do things consistently well and don't make a big song and dance about it. In that way, no, I better not. So I was going to say, in that way, he reminds me of Leon Baker when he went forward. But he's, he's in there's only one Leon Baker. He's CBF, isn't he? Career best form. Uh, yeah, it'd have to be. And I reckon at this stage of your career, after being part of three premierships, um, it's a great effort. So very, yeah. very hot Luke Bruce. You're yeah, right. good stuff. Hot for me, Daniel Rioli. Oh, yeah. Mm. He's kicking a goal maybe wasn't... Well, it wasn't good at all, actually, on Friday night. But that's not that's only cream on the cake for him. So fast on the tackle, run down, pressure. The Okay, it's a great... Story to write, so Rioli retires, but we're no lesser for it because Daniel Rioli takes up the mantle, and actually Willie Rioli played pretty well for the West Coast Eagles. But, wow, when you've got a forward line that applies enormous pressure in the first half of the year and you think, you know, you're in the grips of the likes of Castagna and Graham and Shy Bolton when he plays, yet they all really play second fiddle to the, the king, the man who almost inspires that at Richmond. Rioli is, uh, puts Richmond to me, you know, you know in elections when they come back from polling booths and they declare a seat? Yeah. Yeah, well, we've got this, the polling booth of Daniel Rioli to me makes, I'm willing to declare Richmond the seat for 2019. I think they win the flag, not on the back of him, but he is the final piece in the perfect puzzle. Well, one of the scariest things about that is um, Bruce was starting to get very excited about Daniel Rioli. I think we might have a replacement Rioli for Bruce. <sighs> and uh, Boy. Who can wait for the uh, celebration of that for the next 10 years? Okay. Delicious. When did he first taste Cyril that he came up with that to uh, I don't know. Let's not go there. It's a lot <laughs> safer not to. Uh, I'm going with the not next, and we did touch on this before. Sorry, Blues fans. And look, I, anyone who caught up with uh, my tweets on Saturday, I, I didn't, I wasn't defending them as such. I was talking about how big a hole they were left in list-wise. However, it doesn't excuse lack of effort. And people bristle sometimes and they say, well, you know, as if footballers don't try. There's trying and there's trying. This was a side that looked to me like it knew things had conspired against them. They were playing in hot conditions. They're playing up at the Gabba. Lions were fired up. It didn't go well early, and it just got a bit too hard for them. And some of the goals the Lions kicked in the second half were... There was one down the... Um, I'm not sure whether it was the Volta or Stanley Street end, but to the left of the screen. It was ridiculous. It was like a training drill. Brisbane had about three goes at kicking the goal before they kicked it, and they still had all the time in the world. In the end, I can't remember who it was in the end, but he just snapped it over his... Was, it, was that the time when Cutler he missed a really easy one, and then you got one later, and then they, no, like straight away, yeah. It, it was like Carlton sort of said, it you was know that what? End. Yeah, it was like Carlton sort of said, you know what, son? There's an easier way to yeah, kick we a goal. Don't, we we'll don't. step aside and yeah. actually let you kick a goal. So whilst I'm not of the school that Carlton needs immediate change, I think they need to not immediately change anything at all. But I reckon the players certainly deserve a rocket after that because they, they weren't having a third income crack and it looked terrible. And I felt considerably for their long-suffering fans. Not hot for mine is Sydney's depth. And, yeah, I think they've reached 
a critical point at the moment. Not that they've got hundreds of players out, but it's actually the Sydney team that I think we should have had after a decade and a half of finals and two premierships. The nature of a draft and a salary cap meant that this should have been the side that played on the weekend or on Thursday night should have been the team that Sydney have to live with. And that is guys like Robinson and Towers in and out of the team. Because the two guys that didn't play, Callum Mills out for the year and Heaney, are both, we know, contentious because they're academy players. I know Sydney fans are going to hate this, but you take them out of the team and with the ageing midfield and a few turnstile players in and out of the side, Sydney's not a finals team. And, yeah, that's the team I think they should have. They don't have it. They're lucky. But without Heaney and Mills in the side, they're going to lose more than they win. Well, I mentioned X Factor with him before. Heaney is as close as uh, as anyone to providing that. So he a uh, massive loss for them. But, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I think they've done pretty well with their list management. And they're not an ageing team necessarily. I don't know where they stand in the pecking order age-wise. But I think it's only about mid-table. And they do have some really good younger players, but there is something missing from that blend. And I look at it now, and like Geelong, I look at it and think it's not quite good enough to go all the way. They do have some old, old players, though, Grundy. Yeah. I mean, the midfield's starting to look a bit... Well, to that end, actually, the one that's hurt him a lot this year is Melican being injured, because yep. he, he really Tony has... Tony again. Yeah. So, Kieran Jack, they're sort of players maybe their last season. Mm. Jack got injured on the weekend. Yeah. McVeigh got inj- yeah. injured. Yeah, McVeigh didn't look good either. Just sort of getting to the older older end with a few players. Yeah. All right, uh, final hot for me, and uh, we touched on him, Eric Hipwood. I know you, you at times have been critical of him in terms of consistency, and it's a fair enough criticism, but this was a very uh, mouth-watering, <laughs> I sound like Bruce, mouth-watering taste of what he can be in terms of a long-term <laughs> star of the game. Yep. Uh, very mobile. He's got a monster kick on him. Um, it was his career best, six goals. 6-2 he kicked, 15 possessions, seven marks. His previous career best was four goals. But he was just dangerous all day. And uh, he's a 10-year he's a player for mine. And the consistency will come. He's still pretty raw. I thought it was a great performance on him and, and really exciting to watch. Okay, uh, spot on. Yeah, it's the first time in his career, I think two weeks in a row, he's got 15 or more possessions. Mm. Last week we observed in that very good win in Frio how good it was to see him up the ground. Mm. He kicked six goals and he played further up the ground. Yeah. He's got a fantastic athlete. Yeah, but that, that doesn't that say something? You that... just set off Siri. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I... I want to try it. Siri, how far did Eric Hipwood play up the ground? I don't do football. <laughs> All right, sorry, go on. Thanks, Google. Well, we've got, an ad now. We've got Google. Now. <laughs> go on. She, she chimes in every now and then. Um, but it's a, it's a bit of a lesson, isn't it? In the modern game, as much as Hipwood has been used as a goal kicker, you actually can get more goals out of him by getting him further up the field and mm. into the play. Yeah. Well, provided he's got a decent enough hoof on him. Uh, Mark asks, can the Lions be a top eight team next year? Um yeah, why not? Yeah, the, that that gap can be bridged very quickly. I mean, North was supposed to be a bottom team this year. That was going to be my argument, you know. 
Yeah, they, mean, they can be. There's definite improvement there, it's, and it's continuous improvement, I think. Hipwood's almost the um, part of the um, major stumbling block or reason why they would. A consistent forward mm. will take them a long way. So they won uh, five last year, um, which was the most of any wooden spooner for 20-odd years. Yep. Uh, two more wins from the last seven, and they'll match that tally. But I think even if they don't, They've been consistently competitive all year. You know, we haven't mentioned somebody that's key to that, by the way, which we really should mention. He had almost 30 touches, and he makes such a difference, Luke Hodge, down the back there. Oh, yeah. He just really does. Yeah, yeah. He knows when to go. He knows when to... He, not in terms of what he imparts in knowledge, but in what he imparts on the game, Mm. he's a ripper still. Does he go on next year? Uh, Yeah, why not? Do you sign for two, anyway? I'm just sort of going on the Sam Mitchell dynamic with a yeah, yeah, pin yeah. pretty quickly. No, I reckon he's, he's got another year left in him. Yep. Okay. He'll, fine. Be, known, he'll be known as a Brisbane player. Final one for you. <laughs> and by the way, a computer just went to sleep. Oi. Okay, come on. It's Siri's fault. Um, I'm going to end up... I think we should end up with a, a hot. And that West Coast midfield, I had no faith in the start of the year. None whatsoever. I really didn't. Not because they lost Prittis, but because the guys that made up that midfield, I thought, were a bit undersized and underperformed throughout their career. Mm. Um, Shuey, we know, has stepped up. Maston, surprisingly to me, has stepped up. Yeah. Do you expect him to play well this year? Uh, no, because he's been... Yeah, no. He's been a bit of a deceiver, hasn't he? Yeah. His ball usage hasn't been great, and it's impacted the rest of his game. But he's been he's filled the void when needed. Yeah. And then other players run through that midfield. The big difference is Natanui because they just love having a ruckman that then lands on his feet and becomes part of the midfield. What about the importance? Uh, Gath has definitely become more of an inside player. Uh, not more than outside, but he has upped the inside part of his game. Yeah. He he really was known as a player who was, for want of a, a more complimentary term, a receiver. Mm. But he now is definitely an intercept mark taker. And a look, he's a beautiful mover. He was a receiver and Maston was a deceiver. Yeah, correct. They've probably um, lifted their ratings. Did we see it coming? We can't underestimate the importance that a big, good ruckman makes to that dynamic. But then there are other guys... That, Look, early on in the year, it was a Venables. Mm. Um, they've got good players in and around the ball. Uh, I know Luke Brennan. Is it Luke Brennan? The, the young Brennan? Uh, I'll just have a blank, because I was thinking of Cameron Venables for some reason, who played for Collingwood about 20 years ago. <laughs> it's Brennan. Okay, someone just had a... We're getting old. Reminders of Brennan's first name. But they've got these players that are... Brennan's been there for a while, I think. I think it might be his third season. But he's, you know, nice body, in and around the contest, does his bit. Good good lad. Um, we've got a look-alike. Hip, oh, yeah. Hipwood looks like Raf Nadal. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great photo. We've, yeah. got, we've been given two photos that really make them look similar. Well, you could put Justin Kaczynski in there and make it a, a triplets, really, couldn't you? Not really. Oh, because um, he looked like Nadal. But Hipwood, I loved, I loved Hipwood when he broke into the scene. He had the centre part. He looked like a football card or a cigarette card from 1933. <laughs> okay. Um, Are you done? 
No, just, well, I'm saying that midfield, I wasn't the one confusing Venables with <laughs> the wrong Venables. Well, you asked me which Brennan it was. But I'm just saying that they've got, they've got players. Junior. They've got players that have helped. Um, Hutchings is, he's always a good contributor. Oh, when I, given a go. Yeah, no, I, but he, he's got more strings to his bow now than just being a run with player, albeit mm. he, he did that really well today. But I think he's lifted as well. It's funny how we, we were so shocked at how well they were going. But then as soon as they lost three in a row, it was sort of like, oh, what's going on with the Eagles? Well, hang on. Not many people tipped them to finish in the eight anyway. So we've got sort of goldfish memories in the footy media, haven't we? Yeah. Well, not us, but everyone else. What? Okay. I'm just being stupid now. All right, that's enough for Hot or Not. And I'm whipping myself up now because I know I do this every week, Fighty. And I know you reckon I'm always pissed off. Yes, you but are. let me assure you, you I'm, are, about to, I'm about to reach levels of anger, <laughs> which will be very, very difficult to deal with for people at home, let alone you, my friend, sitting but a few feet away from me, because I am seriously, seriously pissed off about something. And not in that, not in that joking, stupid, sort of slightly comic way. I'm really pissed off. And that can only mean one thing, of course, Mark, and it means... It's time for the Rant Off! I'm pissed off with Channel 7, Finey, but not for the reasons you might think. I saw a promo yesterday for a story on that hard-hitting current affairs show Sunday night, and it made me realise what a golden opportunity 7 are missing. Tonight... They've got a ripper of a story in which they're banging on yet again about African gangs running riot, oh, tearing up the town. Funnily enough, the only violence I've been hearing about lately has been committed by Australian-born white guys on their female partners. But if Seven isn't even going to hide the fact anymore that it's a TV network happy to pander to racism, here's an idea about how we can work that sort of lowbrow dog whistling into their football programming as well. Let's give one of the current crop of commentators the arse and replace him with Pauline Hanson. That'll get more women involved in the coverage and tap into the One Nation base in northern Queensland at the same time. Think about the post-game possibilities, Fanny. Forget roaming Brian. We can have roaming racist instead. Pauline doing interviews with real Australian players and their families, presenting them with Aussie flags to drape themselves in. She can bail up Majak Dor and Aaliyah Aaliyah in the rooms and demand they renounce all ties with their countries of origin, despite the fact they're contributing more to this country than any number of tax-dodging, wife-belting, substance-abusing, middle-class white folk running large corporations like, hmm, let's say, a TV network. And let's not stop there. Let's get Mark Latham, Corey Bernardi, those two clowns from that outsider's crap on Sky News, and that dickhead from the United Patriots front involved as well. Because if you're going to take off the veneer of respectability and go all out to appeal to people's fears and prejudices, why just confine that to current affairs? Hanson was a historical relic until Channel 7 plucked her from obscurity and whacked her on Dancing with the Stars. Come on, guys, it's time you went a step further and got her to front your footy coverage as well. Because while your slogan says, we just love the footy, you know what? I reckon the reality is you just love appealing to the lowest common denominator a whole lot more. By the way, next season I'll be doing a football program with Andrew Bolt. 
That was absolute garbage, Channel 7. And I don't care if you never employ me, not that you're going to anyway, it was garbage. And people are too smart to fall for that sort of crap much longer. I've got to say, they're not an island here. Because I was, I was you know what, I'd almost been taken in by some of the... Um, media re-African gang violence until I saw a thing on a current affair about Moomba and this is exactly what they showed they showed a group of African youths trying to board a train and a group of white girls panicking the reason they were panicking is because the media had conditioned them to be scared of anything shaded up from their own skin colour and they were running onto the train and all these African kids were doing was getting on the train as well. Now, you know what? We know that fear and, and sadly, um, groupthink and hatred sells papers and gets ratings. You know, what better way to get ratings than cancer scare, the water you drink is killing you. And this is along the same line. So it's a pretty serious topic, and I'm glad that you addressed it. Oh, no, I thank you for saying that. And um, Mine is less serious. We are, we are better than that. We are better than that. Your turn. I'm going to count. Oh, you forgot to count me in, didn't you? I forgot please to ask ex- you to count me in. Please explain. Yeah, I'll count you in. Three, two, one. Rant. I'm tonight not ranting. I want to be calm and talk about the filming of sporting events and crowd shots, and perverted cameramen taking pictures of good-looking women, and what it takes to become an instant TV hero by being part of a crowd shot. Now, a history lesson. Do you know when I grew up, I used to love watching the football, footy replay, and then live games, and you will not believe this, younger viewer. There were no crowd shots. They actually just filmed the football, the ball went into the crowd, and it came back. There were sort of wide shots of the crowd. I think the only time the crowd was ever shot in earnest was when the post fell off on them at Windy Hill. I was there that day. But otherwise, there were no crowd shots. Who wants to see dickheads in the crowd? You can go sit next to them. And then it began. Let me take us away from football with the current world view of the crowd shot. Take the World Cup at the moment. Gee, Russian women are beautiful, or you'd think given that any crowd shot of a Russian female at the current World Cup is of a 10 out of 10 supermodel. The only other way you can get onto the screen at the World Cup is to be a crying infant or a totally despondent Russian after last night's loss to Croatia. Oh, by the way, the Croatian president was at the game. I could now pick him out at 19 feet. Didn't know what he looked like before the game, but he was actually on more than seven of the Croatian players, including the chap who was able to slot the penalty at the penalty shootout to take them through to the semi-final. I don't know what he looks like, but I know what the guy in the crowd does. Let's move on to cricket. South African cameramen are famous for picking out buxom, scantily clad females in the crowd. Not many people go to the cricket in South Africa, but if you're a good-looking girl, then take your agent with you because you're going to be on TV. Let's move on to the current Canadian T20 competition. I've watched a bit of that. Smith and Warner have played. Not much, but they've played. This was a little piece of audio or a a little conversation between two of the commentators on the back of some camera work. 
It's hot today. Camera pans to a good-looking girl in the crowd. Yeah, real hot. Back to the first commentator. Are we talking about the cricket or something else? Back to the second commentator. I was talking about the weather. Ha, ha, ha. Chortle, chortle. Well, they're camera shots. But don't think that footy is beyond it. Because the camera shot is now a key part of football. And here's my guide for an AFL fan if you want to be on TV. Be the following. Famous in your own lunchtime, a la Eddie Maguire, Jeff Kennett, or any other recognisable face at the football. B. Be an adult stupid enough to get your face painted. That might get you on TV. Be a crying, inconsolable... Oh, the, oh yeah, sorry, I'll get to that in a moment. I've just been told, oh, the pro-Russian president's the woman. Oh, yeah. she, she was dancing in front of the Russian president. Who was the bloke she was with all night? It wasn't Putin. Okay, no. <laughs> Anyhow, no. I'm glad for that. I'm glad. Yeah, who was that dark-haired bloke that was on all night? I think he was Russian, actually. Anywho, if you want to get on, be a crying child, a good-looking girl, an adult who paints your face, which is idiotic. Hold a Richmond sign about Dustin Martin. That seems to be very popular. But if you really want to get on TV, do you know the best way to do it, Rowan? Go to a Major League Baseball game and fall asleep. And I guarantee you, you'll be on Jumbo Vision. Apologies to the Croatian president. Who was that dark-haired man? You know, uh, very good, here, here, and um, I'd like to endorse your sentiments, and very timely you thought of it, and I reckon, tell me if the inspiration for this was footage during the Richmond-Adelaide game, behind the Richmond goals in the cheer squad. Well, there was a woman with that full face paint that was on constantly. What about the bloke? Yeah, There's a bloke holding who's the been side. on about three weeks in a row, oh. leading the chance. Oh yeah, but look... Richmond Cheer Squad's great because it's the only adult cheer squad still left. All the rest of <laughs> crashes. But, you know, they, they all have... They, they love their signs. Yeah. Um, Richmond rewind or replay another flag. Dusty this, dusty yeah. that. And then this one woman. Did you see her? I think I know This the wasn't one face mean. painting. This I, was... No, no, I think I know the one you mean. And it was clearly queued up for BT to come in and say something suitably disparaging. And to his credit... He didn't. It was a work of art, though. It wasn't kids' face painting. This was done by somebody at the MTC. <laughs> like she looked like she came straight out of cats. Can I? Can I just tell you on that whole thing about crowd cutaways? Number, you'll remember this. Number one worst timed crowd cutaway of all time. The year is two thousand and five. Oh, Leo Barrett. Leo Barrett. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Has just taken the most yeah. important market grand final history. Sydney has just won its first premiership for 72 years. Literally, as the players fall to the turf, cue, shot, of, and I really, I, don't, I hope this guy's not watching because I hate him, this guy leaning into the camera going, <laughs> like, is that how you want to remember your first flag in 72 years? I suspect not. I mean, you know, there were crowd shot favourites. There was a Geelong supporter with the Mo. Oh, yeah, yeah, the truck driver, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, unfortunately, there were a couple of supporters. What about Nancy, the old Essendon supporter in the 80s? Do you remember Nancy? I mean, that was great. Nancy's yeah. actually now 136. Yeah. No, no, she was... I met well, Nancy. Well, there was the North Melbourne Barb. Uh, well, it was the one that Dirk Well, Barb. The one that Dirk Wellen belted. Yeah, Carlton. 
Oh, Carlton's Bar. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Carlton's Bar. Yeah, but um, but I am of course. Um, oh, okay. But I've I, I know that this sort of happened. There was a couple of supporters that they showed a few times remonstrating mm. until they realised that those supporters, even though they were adult, you know, might might not be. Um, what they were laughing at, they shouldn't have been laughing at. You know, that yeah. those supporters were having a great time, but they were seemingly um, acting over the top because um, you know that's how they followed football, and and they had you know some learning difficulties or etc. So you've got to be very careful in choosing out your fans, which is and, and commenting about them, which is why it was admirable restraint from BT on that front. Um, well, there's our rants, and uh, this is the yin and yang of our working together, Finey. I, I went the serious, sort of quasi-political no, route. That was, no, that was... No, I'm over it. I'm no, over it. No, it was well, well said. And if you're one of the United Patriots front who's been abusing me on Twitter all day, get stuffed. Um, all right, that uh, pretty much winds it up. Have we got our off-topic uh, Facebook message? I think we're going to try and make a habit of this. Oh, we have, we have. And today's, it's come from Josh, who asks, is there a real chance that it's coming home? And by coming home, he means football, of course, which the entire uh, English country has been chanting en masse. And great win by the, uh, not the Ponds, by the English in their quarterfinal. Um, I've just got... How about the story of the bloke that got the first goal? What's his name? Harry Morgan? or who? The guy that headed the first goal. Uh, Oh, I've forgotten his name. How am I travelling? I watched the game. Uh, he was at Leicester. And, yeah, yeah saying, he's at Leicester now. Yeah, he's at Leicester. And before that, not that long ago... No, it's Mick something. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. But is it's it McGrath? It's, it's a McGrath? No, it's a Harry. But he was a Stop Harry. Stop throwing up names that I don't know. That's the first rule of TV. Don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. That's okay. This isn't TV. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire. Yeah, I told you. Well, get on TV, become a Maguire. He was, only three years ago, he was not in a first starting lineup mm. in the championship. No, they're, they're, you can't help but like him. I actually tweeted last night, like, every other English squad that's got there has had much, to me anyway, much bigger sort of household names. Yeah, mate. There's except not that many in this one. Except for Harry Kane. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit oh, of Sterling. Sterling, yeah. That, that'd be about De- it. And Deli Ali. I'm yeah. saying that they very much, and their keeper is... is yeah, has come. I thought the their ball. keeper was still Joe Hart until this tournament. So yeah, no, he, he had a year at West Ham. He ain't keeping. He yeah. ain't keeping for no country. Um, he the keeper. What a save! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We digress. I've just got yeah. We do digress. We do that often. I've just got visions of a final between England and France, and the French finally extracting revenge for the Battle of Waterloo. Only. 250-odd years ago. That is an odd vision. A what? An odd vision. Oh, an odd vision. Yeah, I don't know. Just popped into my head. Okay, I think we're done here. So uh, thanks to your company. Um, big thank you to Southern FM for letting us uh, film here. Big thank you to Mal, who pulls it all together, and Andrew, um, Mr. Music, Mr. Social Media Guy. Um, no, not thanks to them. They're ugly. Uh, but thanks to your company. And, uh, and our sponsors. And our sponsors, the Hari Krishnas. Let us know if you like the format. And um, we'll come back next week. Pick up your papers, Finey, because we're going to sign off in traditional fashion. May your football be good football and good night.